examples of how we're certain that we're doing these two things, worshiping and being this light or this source. Um, And so we've adjusted our members' meetings to help us uh, keep us oriented towards those things, to help inform us with those two things, uh, and to keep us in unity as we strive for those two things. And we we had our first uh, new structure in it last week, and the big three additions to our structure in our members' meeting, if you remember, we handed out that sheet maybe about a month ago. We've got sections in there that focus on our covenant community, which is where we give care and attention to the body. There's the discipleship section, which we discussed a few weeks back about the spiritual growth of the church. And last week we picked up the section on ministry, which is the, 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 the being the source or the light aspect, work and service as the church. And so those have been um, our focus the last few Wednesday nights to understanding why we would care about things like discipleship or church ministry. And we talked about church ministry, and I divvied ministry into two things last week. I didn't really like to do it, but we're doing it for the sake of teaching. And these will follow up in the next two weeks. That the church could be a part of, again, I don't like making this division, but here it is, mercy ministry and missions, okay? And so the really the idea is, is being merciful to those who are in need, but then also taking the gospel to those who need the gospel. And we, those two things, they go together. They're, they're intertwined, and they cannot be separated. Um, because what we looked at last week was the foundation for ministry. And understand, ministry doesn't happen at this pulpit or from the pastor, but the church is doing ministry. The individual members are doing ministry, service, because we understood last week that the Christian life is just another way of saying ministry. If you're a Christian and you're breathing, your life should be service, right? And we laid the foundation for Christian ministry or Christian living, and the foundation is life Through death. Life through death. If you take those two words, Christian and ministry, and you and you examine Christian, and we talked about Christianity, or I'm sorry, redemption accomplished. How is it accomplished? Well, life through death. How is it applied to someone? Well, crucified in order to to be raised, life through death. You're a Christian because Christ brought you life through his death. You receive it as you are united with his death and raised into life. And then so when we follow that pattern of life through death, following Christ, that is just a life of service. Christian ministry is living or I'm sorry, dying for the sake of someone else living. 
That's why we spent a lot of time in, and I'll just I'll read it for you, a couple verses out of 2 Corinthians last week as Paul was defining his ministry in the midst of defending it. He says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also be, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So there, life for death. So death is at work in us, but life in you. That's the definition of ministry. Death within me, so that you might receive life. And it could be, you could, you could take it anyway, to mercy ministry, of sacrificing to give a cup of water to someone who needs it, to traveling to Indonesia to give the gospel. You're giving your life to do something in order that someone might receive life. So I this evening, we're going to think more a little bit more theological about what it is to minister or serve, and we're going to do this... Thinking about the phrase, good works. Good works. Um, That's what we find in Titus chapter 3. You you find it all throughout Titus, actually. He uses the phrase, good works, three, maybe four times. We're going to pay attention to uh, three of them. Um, We're going to... Let's go ahead and and read Titus 3, 1 through 8. Remind them, this is Paul to Titus, remind them would be the church. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So tell the church to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show courteous towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So here's what we're focusing on this evening. God has saved us in order that you might serve. In order that you might love care, evangelize, give, and ultimately die. Pick up your cross. 
and follow. We'll get there. Saved you. So we know we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our works. But the theological banter is we're saved to good works. Not saved by good works, but saved to good works. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to think about that because we could just sit here and I could talk about good works all we want. But do we actually know what good works are? Do we actually know what's behind? So the sort of the theology, the doctrine behind being saved to good works. And it goes a little bit more in depth than you realize. It's more than just thinking about doing a good thing. Because we could get in trouble if we just think, oh, God just wants me to do good stuff. There's a lot more that's going on in the background than that. And so let's put your ribbon in in Titus, and let's go to Matthew for a minute. And I want you to see Jesus explaining or making a theology of what is happening regarding good works. And we're going to look at both words separately. Because we've got to understand what's going on. So if you start at Matthew 3, so let's t- let's just take a second and understand how this word good is used. Okay, Let's just understand how this word good is used. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the definition of it in two different ways. Because when we read Titus 3, the word good in it in English was actually two different Greek words. I'm not going to tell you because I don't remember how to pronounce them. But imagine it this way. You've got, we're going to talk about fruit, so let's just pick an apple. You've got an apple that is good. You took a big old bite out of it, and it was good to the core, right? It, there, was no, there was no mushy spot. It was solid all the way to the core. When the Bible uses that word good, It's talking more about the morality of a person, the inner person, right? But there's also another way that the word good is used when you look at an apple and it just looks good from appearance. It's don't they don't they put wax on apples to make them shiny? But yeah, but you know that it just it glistens and it just it's beautiful. That's the other the the first one is sort of this moral moral goodness that goes to the core and this other one is is actually it's about beauty. Okay? It's about beauty just like you see a, a, a an apple tree and it looks the fruit just hangs beautifully. You look at it and says that is good fruit. But you can also take a bite and say, "Oh, that is good fruit." One is appeasing uh, by its beauty, and the other by what it is to the core. So Matthew 3, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul, John the Baptist uses good when it refer, when he refers in verse 10, 310, he's, um, he's laying it thick on the Pharisees, and he says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So that introduces that not only is there good fruit, but there's probably the opposite, right? We understand that there's another type of fruit, which we get in chapter 7, Matthew 7, uh, verse 17. Well, 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. So the, the ESV calls it a healthy tree. It's actually a good tree. Every good tree that's good to the core bears good, beautiful fruit. It uses both. And that happens multiple times in Matthew. Jesus will intertwine these words that describe goodness in different ways. But he also says the diseased tree or, I don't know, does anyone say evil or bad? Bad, bad. 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 Um, there's also a, an evil that is an appearance or a bad that's an appearance and a bad that is deep to the core, a moral bad. And again, he uses both. Um, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. Very similar to what Matthew or what to what John the Baptist said, is throw. It's cut down. Remember, Ma, uh, uh, John said the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, I'll go to chapter twelve. Very similar. We're going to be getting into this. This is the. This is. It's why it's so. This is coming on Wednesday night means you get to hear things more than once because we're going to get to talk about this again in a few Sundays when we get to Matthew 12 and we get to verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Again, very similar language to John the Baptist, to the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. An evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So we've got this truth that says the beauty of the fruit or the goodness of the fruit is going to depend on the beauty or the goodness Within, the tree is going to determine if the fruit is good. The heart is going to determine if what comes out of the, the mouth is good. And you know a tree or a person by its fruit. Um, we, let's keep going. That, we got, we've got the idea. Now let's think about work for a second. Let's think about work for a second. Matthew 23. The, the Greek word there just means work. There's not a lot. There's, you know, it's doing, laboring, uh, working. It's, it's, it's what you're doing, right? Um, but but let's, not, let's not get this backwards. That can mean the work could mean also what you're saying. You understand what I'm saying? Look at verse Matthew 23, verse 3. Jesus helps us understand how to think about work when he's talking again to the Pharisees. Uh, let's start at 2. 
The scribes and the Pharisees sat at Moses' seat. So do, I'm sorry, we've got to start at one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and, and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. So if we're defining works based on that, it's um, we could translate it to common, common day, walk the walk not just talk the talk. The Pharisees, they were talking the talk, but their work, what they were doing, even what they were saying, was evil. While they spoke good. So the work is the fruit. So we define good, good fruit, bad fruit. The work, what you do, is the fruit that we're discussing here. Okay? Uh, look at John 3. Now we have to understand something about mankind's work. This is super important. We have to understand what is fruit. If you just took a man, a natural man, without knowledge of the gospel... Would his fruit be good or bad? Meaning, would his works be good or bad? John 3.17 helps us understand what the natural work of man is or the natural fruit of man. Is it good or is it bad? Verse 17, For God did not send his own Son in the, in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now we have to understand. Many people say, oh, God is so good. He's not going to condemn anyone. Well, the reason why Jesus doesn't have to, the Son doesn't have to condemn the world is because God has already condemned the world. Verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The world is already condemned before the Son gets there because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were not good but evil. The people's works within this world are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now go to Romans. We're almost done with this portion. So Jesus comes into a world where all the trees are bad. Apart from any work of God in their Natural condition. All the people's works are evil. Now, how can we define it? Why can we say that? Why is that the case? Romans 2 verse 6. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. God will render to every human being judgment 
according to his works. What does he judge by? If every tree is bad, if all the works of the people of this world are bad, how can we make that declaration? What is the standard? Well, if you read the rest of Romans 2, you find out pretty quick. It's the law of God. And you think, well, Israel had the law. I can get that. But what about everybody else? Well, if you read Romans 2, you understand that no one has an excuse because, yes, Israel did have the law of God written on stones. But we also know that the Gentiles, everyone else, had the law of God written within them. And they knew what was good and what was evil. And then we get to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Remember, all, all are familiar with the law, Jew and Greek. Israel and the rest of the world. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So we've got a real big problem. No justification based on works. God is going to judge everyone according to their works. And you read all of Romans 3, you understand everybody's rotten to the core. So something's got to give. And that's where we find ourselves in Titus 3. You see, being a Christian and doing good things isn't just about saying, Oh, I'm going to be a good person. There's something that's happened there is something divine that is taking place. This and when, when what Titus lays out. Look at actually before we read two. Look at verse chapter. Before we read chapter three, look at chapter two, verse fourteen. This hit me like it had never, ever, ever hit me. Titus. That what did I say, Titus? Titus 2, verse 14. Sorry. So before we continue looking at Titus 3, look what he says in verse 14. Knowing at the end of 13, he's talking about Christ. Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. To purify for himself, to cleanse a people for his own possession. And if yours says peculiar, that's what he means. It's, it's, they're peculiar to him. They're his alone. They're his possession. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So I think we, I, we said this last Sunday. The redemption of our Souls isn't about getting us from one place that's in fire to one place that's in the sky in heaven. The redemption that we have in Jesus is a redemption of who we are. Like it doesn't make sense to redeem us from one place to another. But what happens is that he says he is redeeming us from all lawlessness. He's saying I'm going to fix you to the core. To purify. Think think if you could redeem and purify every apple that had a soft spot on it. That's what he's doing. 
Okay. Look at Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing on days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See any good fruit there? No. You see a bunch of bad trees producing bad fruit. But when the goodness... That's an interesting phrase Paul uses. Goodness. What's missing when Jesus comes into this world? These people he's going to... He's come to redeem. Goodness. But when the goodness, that word, if you look up that word goodness uh, in the New Testament, um, it is used for God alone, except in two spots that I could find. That word, that Greek word for goodness is is used as an adjective for God only, except for two places. One of them was in the fruit of the Spirit, which, that's whose spirit is that? God's spirit. And the other one was in Colossians 3 when it after it tells us to take off the flesh, it tells us to put on these things, goodness. And what are we putting on? Christ. So the only way to come and redeem the bad to the core the evil is for true goodness to come when goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, because our works done actually condemn us, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit. So we have regeneration, which means We talked about this all Sunday morning. New creation. So it's not as if he's saying, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to fertilize and water and let a little mulch around these bad trees. No, no. New creation. New tree. Because Jesus said, bad fruit comes from bad trees. Only good fruit can come from a good tree. So it's bad or good. And when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, He regenerated us and renewed us in the Spirit and made us good trees. That can now, what? Bear good fruit. Whom He poured out on us, the Holy Spirit, richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, meaning all of our bad fruit wiped out as far as it being counted against us. Wiped out by His grace. And that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good work. To good works. Now, 
We don't have to go there because we know the passage well, but let's just think about Ephesians 2.10. The tree, the bad tree at the start of Ephesians 2 was what? Dead. Producing dead fruit. Living out the desires and passions of the flesh. That's bad fruit. But God, being rich in mercy with which He loved us, made us alive. New creation. New tree. The core has been recreated, regenerated. And He says, uh, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but is a gift of God, so that no one might boast. Uh, well, let's go ahead and read it, because I'm going to butcher it if I don't read it. For we are his workmanship created, created in Christ Jesus. This is one of those times where I just feel like I can only just say that phrase over and over again and hoping that that gets into our hearts. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ. Not like... I'm going to save you. Now I'm going to try to convince you that you should do good because you're a Christian. No, no, no. This is what he recreated us for. is so that we could go out and do good work. So that we could go out and die. He made us alive so that we could go and die. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I can do this because I know that I'm going to live again. By the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is like we talked about last Sunday. Walking as children of light. The, the, the push last Sunday morning was to, to go and be, or go, uh, to go and be what God has made you. In Jesus Christ, right? So he says, walk as children of light. He's already regenerated us. He's already renewed us. We're already justified. We're already created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now we just go out there and do what we are. Be what we are in Christ, right? Because that is our calling, our purpose. That should be our walk. Um so we think back, uh, I'm, I'm just about done. We, we think about Paul writing this letter to Titus and like what's going on in Paul's mind to think, i got to write this letter to Titus and I'm going to mention good works a lot. Um, look at verse 12. So in verse 10 he starts... Paul starts warning him about these certain people who are among this church that Titus is at. And then in verse 12, he says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, and he's referring to the people, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. 
Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the, and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. And I got to thinking about it. I wonder if he meant physically they're lazy gluttons. But I think the problem with America these days is that spiritually we're lazy gluttons. And I say America, I mean the American church. The American church are a bunch of lazy gluttons. We wander our way to church. And we get here. We take it in. At best, at best we start acquiring knowledge. But we're still lazy. So we're like feasting, overeating. But yet we're lazy. So I, I just... I. I wonder if there's a spiritual connection with that, but liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. There's no good fruit coming from that. No good fruit coming from that. And so I think Paul's glorious statement in chapter 2, verse 14, that Christ redeemed us to good works, for good works, says, if they keep on, if these keep on, as liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons, what 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 are they telling us? They have not been redeemed. They have not been redeemed. He starts the letter by saying, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order. I I, I fear that if if order did not come by sound doctrine, which is another great theme of this book, of this letter. If order did not come by the preaching and teaching of the truth, that this th these people were in for a rude awakening about the state of their souls. It was a great warning that says he redeems us for zealous to be zealous for good works, not to be liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now I just. My prayer is that if there is a sense of if there's a sense of nominal Christianity among us individually or corporately because that's that's really the problem that we need to be afraid of we need to fear this is if if Paul was writing a letter today he would say yeah one of those Americans a prophet of their own said those those uh, those Americans are a bunch of Name only Christians. We, we have to pray that the Lord would purge from our hearts and minds all notions of any sort of nominalness. Any sort of carnal Christianity. Lest we trample on the gospel and on the purpose of Christ redeeming us. We must not be deceived and know that we have been called to such a high calling. Remember Ephesians 4.1? Uh, um, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He's redeeming and purifying from all lawlessness a people for his own possession. For himself. And what is the cat? What is the thing that sh that that says these are my people? 
They're zealous for good works because he's recreated them. He's made them. He's regenerated in order that they could do the good works. So just two things we have to think about, and we'll close. Remember, this is, this is, the, this is setting up why we must be doing ministry, why we must be in service. We've got to know, we've got to know what it means when he says that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all law. That's the gospel. And we have to know the gospel. And we have to know what we're called to. I mean, we could categorize, we could we could summarize the calling really simply by loving the Lord and, and loving others. Because that's what we've been created to do. We've been regenerated and renewed to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the good works. Obedience and sacrifice. Obedience and mercy. Trust and obey. But of course, you know number you know Hebrews 10. This is the last verse we'll read, and the last place we'll see the phrase good works for this evening. And we'll conclude and go home. Hebrews 10. So how are we to not forget the gospel, what Christ has done? How are we not to forget our calling to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor? Let us stir or let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I'm going to say it again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And do you want to know the simple out the simple way? Not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. Do you know what the church does when they meet together? One thing. They worship. They worship as they pray, as they fellowship. They worship as they sing. They worship as they hear the word of God. They worship that, that is the grace of God that he's given us. That you and I, we all, can encourage, equip, and maybe sometimes say the hard thing. You try to do this on your own. God did not design his redeemed to operate on their own. He called them saints together, the church. This is how we stir up one another to love and good works. This is why it's important that we understand what it is that we're doing as a church with ministry. And also important why you individually should be willing to die for the sake that others might live. Whether it be giving up uh, a $10 bill or 
not bowing the knee to Caesar and giving up your head. So take heart that you might not feel like you can you've got the goodness but if you are in Christ the goodness and loving kindness of God has come upon you. He's equipped you and he's enabled you to do what he's called you to do. To be zealous for good works. That's Christian ministry. That's Christian living. Let's pray.